It is good to be with you this morning and to be able to rehearse the gospel together as we sing corporately. Our God is amazing. His grace is overwhelming. I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, there hopefully should be one beside you or underneath the seat in front of you. We refer to those as our pew Bibles. And if you do not own a Bible, please see that as our gift to you. You can take that with you. We're returning again to our our series, sermon series, through the book, The Letter to the Hebrews. And uh, if you were with us Christmas morning, we were in chapter 3, and so we are actually going to return there again. So I want to draw your attention to two verses in particular, verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews chapter 3. If you remember, church family, we have had this as our grace verse. And please hear God's word. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, with your Bibles open, I want you to look at verse 7 to put us into context. Uh, The author of, of this letter is referencing, he is quoting Psalm 95 for us. And verse 7 begins, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, If you hear his voice, I want to emphasize again for us as we look at this passage that it is the Holy Spirit that says what is what is coming and how verse seven really connects with verse 12. So therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and for us to hear this, take care, brothers, the Holy Spirit has said these things not to provide just a, a, a record of the past, but to speak a dynamic word to us today. So when Psalm 95 was first penned, inspired by the Spirit of God, when this letter to the Hebrews were, was received by the original recipients, and for us today, please hear me, the Holy Spirit is speaking. This is the inspired word of God. So our ears as believers should perk up when we hear God's word read aloud and then by the help of the Spirit exposited. We want to hear from God this day. The Holy Spirit has spoken. He is speaking. His word is alive and active. Now, when we look at our passage probably a familiar verse to most of us, verses, verses 12 and 13. In a comparable manner, Paul, the Apostle Paul, advises the Corinthians also about the experience of the people of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. That's that's what's being referenced in Psalm 95. That's what's being quoted here in chapter 3. For us as believers to look upon what happened to the people of Israel 
in the wilderness. And what took place, the Apostle Paul tells us, is that it was taken place, it, it took place as an example for us. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what he goes on to say. It was an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. 1 Corinthians 10, 6-11. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things, please hear this because this is relevant to our passage today. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And so as we have looked, so if you weren't with us on Christmas Day, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that, that sermon because we, we were really digging deep into what actually transpired in those wilderness years, what was going on with the people of Israel as they grumbled, complained, and verse 19 of our passage tells us that they were unable to enter into the rest because of their unbelief. Now, all of that happening the, the writer, the author of the Hebrews is telling us that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through what happened to the people of Israel in the wilderness. And so we must note that the author of this le letter is addressing the original recipients and by the power of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, to us today. The way that he begins in verse 12 should not just be glossed over. Take care, brothers. That is an indication that the warnings that we have heard about concerning the people of Israel are for believers to hear. It is relevant. Many Christians, professing Christians, kind of stand a few steps away from warnings in Scripture. They they kind of buy into a, a false security that if, if I have Christ, then it doesn't really matter what the rest of my life necessarily looks like. And that is not the truth found in the New Testament. This warning is coming from the Holy Spirit. Look at what happened in the life, in the hearts of the people of Israel in the wilderness and take heed. Take care, brothers and sisters. Listen to what happened to them and realize that what happened to them is actually extremely applicable to us as we live as sojourners and exiles here on earth. The way we experience the power of God through Christ to work persevering grace in us is through warnings, commands, and the promises of the Word of God. Many love to cling to the promises of God when we think about, what do I need to persevere through the difficulties of this life? Please hear that it's more comprehensive. We need the commands. 
We need the warnings and we need the promises. All of that is for our good. So, so please, this morning, I plead with you to stay alert if you were with us in adult Sunday school. Don't fall asleep from the third floor. Stay alert and hear that this word is for you this morning. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles open, these two verses, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then in verse 13, we see, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As I've looked at this passage and, and studied and, and even heard this particular passage taught on by others, it is, it is something to see here that there, there is this progression that is taking place. And again, remember, this is written to believers. When it comes to sin and this battle of the flesh, this is real. And we need to be alert to the reality that fighting our flesh is a daily battle that all of us need to be engaged in. The, the Puritans would refer to working out our own salvation with fear and trembling as, as holy sweat. It is active. It is not passive. When Christ calls us to be his own, there are the promises that, yes, the one who calls us will keep us. But there are means of grace in place that God has ordained for us to actively engage in as we strive to work out our salvation. So there is God's sovereignty, yes and amen, and human responsibility. We are actually active in this work of sanctification. God is doing it. His power is moving. But we are, we are to be involved, active. And what we see in this passage is that the Christian life is not just let your hands go and, and play this kind of, I'm, I'm on cruise control to heaven. Not at all. That is not the testimony of the New Testament. And so we see a lot of help in this passage. So we, we have this, this progression, and it's a terrifying one. An evil, unbelieving heart falling away from God, and there's a hardening happening at the, at the end or the completion of it. And the question that you may ask is, how could this ever happen to one who professes faith in Christ? And in verse 13, the deceitfulness of sin is what unlocks that. Please know this. Sin is deceitful. We, when we, when we say we battle with the flesh, we, pro, we are prone to wander. And we're going to see that there is much happening that is a, a part of this battle of the flesh. So we see this progression, and what I want us to, to see for a moment when we think about the deceitfulness of sin and what we're up against, according to what God's word has revealed, from Genesis 3 to Revelation, we are destined daily to fight the good fight against the deceitfulness of sin, which continually, please hear that, continually seeks to mislead us through certain vehicles, through the work of the devil, through the flesh, and through the world. What do I mean by that? 
The devil is the deceiver of the world. From the garden in Genesis 3, it was Eve that said, the, certain, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We're also told that he is the one who is more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. So you've got Satan, and according to the apostle Peter, he is, he is roaming around like a lion seeking to devour. He is active. So you've got that going on. Then you have the flesh. Because sin has entered the world through Adam's sin, our basic propensity to fall prey to the deceitfulness of sin is in our being. It is Jeremiah that reminds us that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The writer of Hebrews directs us to this doctrine of indwelling sin. So please hear me. On the cross and in the resurrection, Christ broke the power of sin over us. What we sang from that Wesley hymn, we truly have, where we were once enslaved to sin, we have been freed by God's sovereign grace through the work of his son. Praise be to God. But the presence of sin remains. Sin is being eradicated within us. God is sanctifying his people. But while sin remains, we must remember the need to keep our hearts with all vigilance. Proverbs chapter 4, the need to keep our hearts with all vigilance. And then finally, Jesus describes, so you've got the devil, the flesh, and the world. The Lord Jesus described the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. All is, is fighting against or fighting for our heart. All of that is happening daily. As long as you have breath in your lungs until Christ returns, this is the battleground in which we find ourselves. And so we praise God that he has instructed us and given us his word to know how to, to walk this out. What is this supposed to look like? Part of the fight is actually understanding sin, understanding our hearts, how this all, how this all works. And so as verse 12 is kind of laying out this progression, we're starting to learn more about what's happening, what's happening inside of us when we are tempted to sin. The hardening of a tender heart, I want you to please catch this, is a gradual process. A heart will harden when left to the work of the devil, the world, and indwelling sin. So think with me. It's, it's almost impossible to believe as we think about the weather today that just a few weeks ago we experienced an amazing freeze. It got really, really cold for several consecutive days. And during the freeze, we experienced uh, a scenario that played out, at least on, our, on our, our land, with animals' water. This was a great way to kind of think about the, the progression of what happens when, uh, when there's an outside force pressing in on something. So left to itself, because of temperature, that water would freeze, right? When it drops below freezing. Well, it started getting really cold for a long period of time. And so as you think about that, it, it was not immediate. 
So I, I could go out. It wasn't uh, a, a rapid hardening or, or freezing of that ice in those buckets for the animals. I could go out, and if, if, if I was on top of it, it, was, it started out just real thin, just barely a glaze of ice and easy to just kind of knock through and open up. But if there was long periods of time that went by, that thin period began to get thicker and thicker. And one of our buckets, we we did not stay on top of it, and the whole thing froze solid. Where once, I could have just with my fingertip hit it and it would open up. I'm sitting there slamming a, a, a metal pole against it and nothing's happening. But that was a progression that I should have been more alerted to and been engaged on to prevent it from actually happening. But when I let time pass and was not diligent, what happened? It froze solid. The metaphor of hardness that we see in our passage this morning is really taken more from like the idea of clay or wax. The implication is unmistakable. Hardness of heart is the consequence of neglecting the means for softening it. So clay and wax, which are naturally hard, they melt, right, we've all seen this, when brought close to heat, brought under a softening power. But when that heat is then taken away for a period of time, what happens? It starts, it starts to harden. The wax starts to, to harden again. It reverts again to the, the native hardness. The same evil tendency remains in Christians, in believers. The flesh, we are told, is weak and our heart is, is deceived by sin. Spurgeon said this once, the descent to hell is sometimes a precipice. Sometimes you get to a ledge and it's like a, a crazy drop, but far more often it is a smooth and gentle slope. It is a slow progression that those who, who kind of go on this kind of cruise control, let their hands free, before you even realize it, you are heading down a road of, of hardening when it comes to, to um, participating or dabbling in, in sin. I think we can all affirm this if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time. There is no neutral in the Christian life. You will be moving, either putting off the old and striving towards the things of Christ, or you will be led prey to sin and deception and, and led towards a hardening of your heart. There's a, an old English Presbyterian minister, Maurice Roberts, that, that nails this. I, I plead with you to hear his words as he explains the way God has created us. Ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul, and they promote sanctification. You may be scratching your head going, I don't, I don't know if I'm following that. We were not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration, and the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heart warming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not, as he ought, from the Spirit of God. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment 
from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for, sa- for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of the Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, hear this, our soul will go in silent search of other lovers. We were created to enjoy God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. If you are not finding your soul satisfaction there, it's not neutral. You're not going to just be kind of hanging out here for a while in this kind of middle zone. No, no, no. He hits this right on the head. If you are not finding it in, in Christ, delighting in him, you will be moving towards some other lover. We need to take care, brothers and sisters, and be awakened to that reality. That every moment of the day, we are going to be drifting one way or the other. That's that's what I think it means when we are to guard our hearts, take care of our hearts with all vigilance. Because we are at war, so to speak. The heart, you could could imagine it like, like a throne, When you were outside of Christ, who was on the throne? You were. Your little kingdom. Everything revolves around you. Well, praise be to God, Christ does a work on on an unbeliever's heart, taking out the heart of stone, so to speak, where we wanted to rule and reign, and give us a heart of flesh with his laws written on it, where we submit to his lordship and his reign. But if we're not careful, this daily battle, we, we, because of the deceitfulness of sin, we lose sight of who is actually ruling and reigning on our heart. And so then we start to move towards other, as that pastor says, silent search for other lovers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. There is a sentiment out there with professing believers who say that if I have my Bible and I have the Holy Spirit in my heart, why do I need anything else? We do not discount the work of the Holy Spirit, who is the wonderful counselor of the church, of his people. He is the one who enables us to understand God's word. He convicts us of our sin. He helps us in our weakness. He works in us a willingness to obey and enables us to do what we have been called to do by God. But does this mean that we no longer need public worship, corporate worship, the public ministry of the word, the ordinances? Does this mean that we do not need one another? That's not what this passage tells us. What this passage tells us is that these things have been given to us as God's means of grace and are vital, vital in understanding what it means to take care and to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin is an interesting expression, but I think it is one of the most helpful ways to see sin. It is deceitful. 
If you think about Satan, he is actually referred to as the great deceiver, where we think something may look appealing and offer something that we need, we run to it and quickly realize if you've been in it for a while, if it's not God and his ways, it actually does not deliver on its promises. It deceives us. Gary Richmond, a, a former zookeeper, had this to say. A zookeeper is going to help us understand a little bit about the deceitfulness of sin. Raccoons go through a glandular change at about 24 months. I did not know that, but now we do. After that, they often attack their owners if they have become pets to some. You look at raccoons and they, they look cute and sweet. That 24 months is kind of the, the, the zone. Since a 30-pound raccoon can, can be equal to a 100-pound dog in a scrap, this man, Gary, felt compelled to mention the change coming to a pet raccoon owned by a young friend of his named Julie. She listened politely as I explained the coming danger. I'll never forget her answer. It will be different for me. That was her response. And she smiled as she added, Bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't do that. Gary goes on. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon, that sweet little guy, Bandit, attacked her for no apparent reason. Sin too often comes dressed as an adorable, in adorable guise. And we often think we could kind of play with it. We can kind of have it close by, and I'm not fully going to dive in, but just kind of dabbling with it, and it's not going to hurt us. Many of us say this. You may have said this yesterday or last night. It will be different for me. But the results from God's word are predictable and helpful. It is deceitful. And if we are not careful, if we are not alert, we will so easily fall prey. And it rears its head in so many different ways. Sin is deceitful because it will, kind of Satan putting on a lure for each one of us, a certain bait that is right in line with our temperament, what, what really would get us. It's going to look different for everybody, but our battle is the same, a daily battle against the flesh. But Satan has a way of, of putting on that bait, on that particular line, just for you at that time when you are weak. And so we have verse 13. We are not left to ourselves, nor should we ever be. We are called to be doing this thing together, this Christian life. What I also want us to see, we've seen the deceitfulness of sin. I also want you to understand how we are oftentimes blind to sin. So I can remember my, my first year of seminary, having the, the pleasure and honor to sit under Dr. Paul Tripp for an introduction to counseling. And so this is the first time that I heard this kind of theology of spiritual blindness 
But as I have continued to, in my own life and other believers' life, help fight against the flesh, this daily battle, this is so true and relevant. Do you, the question is this, do you really know yourself as well as you think you do? The problem is many of us think we know ourselves really well. And that tends to make us kind of isolate ourselves, like I've got this. I, I know how I'm wired. I know myself well enough to know that I wouldn't fall prey to that or I wouldn't, whatever, you fill in the blank. And I think that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. So the question is, do you really know yourself as well as you think you do? Spiritual blindness isn't like physical blindness. When you're physically blind, you know you're blind. So you compensate for this significant physical deficiency. But spiritually blind people are not only blind, they are also blind to, to their own blindness. They think they see well, so the spiritually blind person walks around with the delusion that no one has a more accurate view of himself than he does. I, I hope that that is resonating with you because so many of us fall prey to this. Sin deludes us into a false estimate of ourselves. If you've ever been to a fair, I know they're not as popular as they once were, but even some kind of jungle gyms, you'll see this, kind of like a, a, a carnival mirror, where when you walk up and you look at that mirror, you're looking all weird, your head may be huge, your body real skinny, it's, it's all distorted. When we are left to our own vices, when we think we can do this Christian life on our own, I promise you, you may be looking into a mirror that you think is accurate, but it is, it is distorted. It is not actually the truth. We can be so quickly deceived by sin and become spiritually blind to our weaknesses, to what we're prone to fall into. And so, by God's grace, his word tells us there's a reason why we are to do this together. Because my deceitful heart easily blinds me to my own sin, I need other believers who love me enough to show me my life from a different mirror. That's key. When we start thinking we know ourselves well, there's distortion. We need believers in our lives who love us enough to show us the truth, not from their perspective, but from God's perspective. So if you've ever thought, well, you know, biblical counseling is that thing for people who really, really have just kind of a messed up life. They need to have this special time with a counselor. Do you realize that all of us need biblical counseling daily? And really, biblical counseling, if it's more of a formal setting, you could say that's intensive discipleship. But biblical counseling really is just, hey, brother or sister, I love you. And I want to show you the truth. You're holding up God's word and showing them what, what they need to see, a, a proper perspective, God's perspective in their life. And there is a way we, we hear from the Apostle Paul to do this in love, speaking the truth in love. There's a, there's a right way to, to hold up God's word in front of a brother or sister and say, this is truth. What I'm seeing in you, what I'm hearing from you isn't aligning. I, want, I love you enough to show you a proper mirror to look into. That's, that's what verse 13 is helping us 
begin to see as we're seeing the warning signs of the deceitfulness of sin. We will never outgrow our need for this type of ministry. This is what we've all been called into. If you are a brother or sister who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, this is not something you graduate from. This is every day, as long as it is today, we are to exhort one another. This is the temptation that all of us face. There is a delusion in Western Christianity that believes that all we need is our own relationship with Jesus, and then we can just, we're good, we can go on. No further need of the church and all that goes on there, that, that commitment that you're going to actually covenant with other people and gather consistently to sit under God's word, to sing songs together, which is actually ministering to one another as we're proclaiming truths and we're hearing each other say those truths. All of that is kind of, you can take it or leave it, right? According to God's word, no, it is, it is essential the public ministry of the word, the private ministry, the one-to-one discipleship, all of that is to help us. We are in need of that. Why? Because of the deceitfulness of sin, how we are all prone to wander. And we can see this progression. And we can see what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness and say, I, I don't want that. What can I do to to keep my heart from going to this unbelief and hardening that happened to the people in the wilderness. And God's word unfolds, praise be to God, and he gives us passages like verse 12 and 13. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What we practically need and this daily exhortation is a plea with one another to cleave to Christ. To cleave to Christ and not allow other affections to supplant that, that first love. That is the exhortation. So if we're walking alongside each other and we're, we're watching and we're asking questions and we're hearing, you, it doesn't take much time with someone else to, to really begin to hear or know what really stirs their affections. If it is void of the Savior and they are professing Christ as Lord, this is where we love each other enough to start asking questions. Why, why am I only hearing this in your life and nothing of, of Christ our Lord and our King? I'm only hearing about you and your little kingdom and, and what what people are doing to serve you instead of what you're doing to, to be a part of serving others and to pouring, pouring into others. You can quickly kind of listen and your ears can begin to, to perk up and discern what's going on in someone's heart because we're told in Scripture, Luke 4, uh, 6.45, what's going on in our heart, it will be the overflow of our mouth. And so if we're having conversations long enough, we're going to start to pick up on what, what it is that's captivated this, this person's heart. And so we want to exhort one another to cleave fast to Christ, lest something else, because we know it's not a neutral thing where we're just kind of hovering, we know that if he is not captivating us, something else will. And so we love each other enough to plead and to encourage and exhort. 
I think it's also important to think about this through the lens of, of accountability. So it is not, I don't think, being said here that we just, okay, we, we've got our call. I'm going to look around and see a brother or sister. I'm going to go up to them. I'm going to expose what's wrong in their life. I'm going to pr- pronounce what's right, and then I'm, I'm done. I can walk away. That, that's not what, what's being painted here in Hebrews chapter 3. We have been given the gift of loving accountability. Lovingly walking alongside each other, not just dropping the bomb and then walking away, but actually coming alongside each other. You hear from Galatians 6, we are called to carry each other's burdens. This is, this is going to require work on all of our parts, the, the rolling up of the sleeves and, and investing time in each other's life alongside each other to fight this war between sin and righteousness. On a practical note, if you're thinking about how, how would I actually begin to hold someone accountable, to, to step into someone's life, on a practical level, here are just a, a few questions, three questions to ask yourself as you provide this type of accountability to a brother or sister. Easy, but, but thought-provoking. Number one, what kinds of ongoing help will this person need? So you actually have to spend enough time with the person to diagnose what, what, will this, what kind of ongoing help will this person need from me? How often, number two, will I need to make contact with this brother or sister that would be helpful for them during this time of struggle? And then lastly, number three, are there other resources in the body? Remember, it's not just up to you. We collectively are called to exhort one another, encourage one another, walk alongside each other. So are there other resources in the body of Christ that would be helpful during this period for this person? And how then can I connect them with those resources? All of this is just part of that entering in and loving someone enough to care for them in their own fight with the flesh, the fight against the deceitfulness of sin. Now, as we think just for a moment about the people in the wilderness, it is not enough for us just to be gathered. That, that's not the end. You can't just check the box and say, well, as long as I'm gathering with the people of God, that's all. I, I, it's sufficient. I've made it. The Israelites for 40 years, think of this, walked alongside one another every single day. How different might it have been in that story of the Israelites in the wilderness if they had fostered among themselves some of the things that we've been talking about? To, to, to strive towards this constant faith in God, to build each other up, remind each other of the hope that their, their, their life is, is anchored upon. Inciting a... A, a, a kind of culture of, of pointing each other to the, the evidences of God's grace. Look at what he's provided this day. We should be encouraging one another. That, that was void. That was absent. And we saw what it led to. Instead of, of that building up, there was this mutual inciting a spirit of rebellion and unbelief, uh, grumbling and complaining. That, that should warn us as well. This gathering can be used for God's glory, or this gathering can be used to actually start breaking people down. Disunity can be sown. We know that just a little bit of yeast can can spoil all. It, It spreads like wildfire. 
So we need to think about that as we're thinking, okay, if we are called to be a part of each other's life, we need to actually be intentional about what is being proclaimed, what is being said. We are engaged actively in thinking. We, we want to think hard about what this looks like to exhort one another today. This today, again, written by the Holy Spirit, the important call to encourage and exhort one another should continue as long as it is called today. When we think about the people in the wilderness, there is no greater tragedy than for members of the professing Christian body to fail, to not enter into God's rest through a hardness of heart. And this, I think, is important. Being seated, placed in the Bible belt where we are located makes this warning from the wilderness generation extremely relevant because culturally, it's still approved upon, invited by many to just gather in local churches. That, that's still culturally a thing in the Bible belt. While that is waning, it's still prevalent particularly here in Parker County. And so where we need to hear this warning is that merely belonging to a community favored with God's gifts does not secure eternal salvation. Israel's rebellion, sin, disobedience, and unbelief are depictions of a hardened heart that excluded them from entering into God's rest, but they were, they were gathered together they were together doing what seemed to be kind of the day-to-day -day thing, what they were supposed to be doing. And what's pulled back in that story and in our text this morning is it's, it really kind of hones in on what was actually going on in the heart. In the heart, that's what really matters. And that, has actually, that actually indicates where the final destination was going to be for that people. And it indicates what the final destination is for those who may even be sitting here this very day. Where is your heart? Physically being present, that is good, but that's not enough. We look at them and realize they were together, but that did not get them to the finish line, so to speak. Their hearts were, were hardened towards God. Even moving in the right direction, their hearts were still hardened. And what we saw was they did not enter because of unbelief. Brothers and sisters, if you're having a hard time realizing what unbelief kind of translates to, when you decide to break God's law, every time you decide to do something contrary to his perfect law, you are displaying unbelief. Every single time that you, you are saying, you're questioning, okay, God, you said this, but over here, this looks pretty good, and so you try it. Children, honor your father and mother. Children, obey your parents. Every day, you have a decision to make. Okay, mommy and daddy told me to do X, Y, and Z. If you move this direction, you're affirming, okay, God said it, I will do it. I want to follow his will and what we, what we see from Scripture is that leads to life and flourishing and honoring him. When you choose to say, I'm not going to obey, ding, 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 that is, that is just unbelief defined. Every time we choose other, 
choose sin, give in to temptation, we're saying, I'm not trusting you. I'm not desiring you. I want this. And we see this progression in our text, and we see it in the people of Israel in the wilderness. It led to a hardness of heart and an unbelief that prevented them from entering into God's rest. I do not want us to be deceived. This is from Jesus' own mouth in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not speak prophecy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many on that day are going to be shocked. But when their heart is exposed, it was never captivated by the love of Christ. It was never satisfied in him and him alone. It did not delight ultimately in what he is, who he is, and what he has provided for his people. Many times as we're working through the New Testament, and what may be exposed in this passage is that people do those things for what they get. Maybe for some it's the praise of man. So you look like you're doing everything right, but if your heart was exposed, the motivation of your heart is, that what, is, is what you would receive from these good acts, these, these you know, participating in the, in the good things of, of what Christian people are to be about. May that not be true of any of us. May we truly be ones who obey the will of the Father and have hearts that are captivated by Christ and Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, we need daily exhortations about the trustworthiness of Christ and the greatness of Christ and the value of Christ over all things. Please hear me. I need the daily exhortation from you. You need the daily exhortation from one another and from me. This is how God has designed us to function, to flourish as his people as we sojourn on this earth. Take care, the words of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. Sin is deceitful and we need one another. I plead with you that you would hear his word today and realize that this is not to be pushed off till next week but we need to be exhorted this very day. Let us pray. Father, as we have been reminded in adult Sunday school, as we have worked through the book of Acts, there is a reason why after churches were planted, the apostles would return again and again to exhort them that, and, and make a proclamation that he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is why we hear from the Apostle Paul that he would strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. There is a reason why, God, in your sovereignty, you redeem us, you save us, you hold us, and at the same time, you call us to participate in working out our salvations with fear and trembling. 
We know that it is your good, good plan and pleasure to use these means of grace in our lives to help us battle the flesh, to keep our hearts with all vigilance. And Father, we pray that by the power of the Spirit, we would be awakened to this, the, the warnings before us and the call to enter into each other's lives, to love each other well in exhorting one another as long as it is called today. Father, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.